the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I'd like to be able to... Anyway. I'm... My mind's going blank now. What's happening? I can't remember. Lose track. My mind's going blank now. What are you talking about? What the hell's going on here? Where the door? My mind's going blank now. I can't remember. I don't know what the hell he's talking about. What am I doing here? My mind's going blank now. Where am I heading? I keep forgetting I'm present. Where am I? No idea. I don't think is the idea. I want to thank and recognize Dr. John John King King song King good song. I can't get this to function at all. My mind's going blank now. What's happening? I can't remember. My mind's going blank. Believe it or not, this is a top forty club hit. Greg Kelly is away today. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, was substituting with a very special program. Because on the line, there is a man who has been to nightclub after nightclub. He is a raconteur of bon vivant, a man about town, stylish, has uh, heard it all over the years from Studio 54 to whatever club is opening. And he would probably be the guy who said, I want this uh, Joe Biden hit. My mind's going blank now. Because in probably 24 hours, we will see a video of President Joe Biden announcing that he is running for re-election. So no better time to bring on a man that I said when I was interviewed for his documentary on Netflix, Roger Stone. I said he knows where all the bones are buried and who buried them. And I was left on the cutting room floor. Roger Stone, thanks for joining us for the next two hours. Curtis, a great honor to be here with you. Now, you hear that song, right? This is a top 40 song around the nation. Even Democrats get up, liberals, progressives, because it has such a good beat. And it has all the stuttering and muttering and uh, the flummoxing and fumbling and stumbling that Joe Biden has done uh, as uh, a candidate and now also as president of the United States. What is interesting, though, is that there is a... um, there is a news story that supersedes all that. Enough with uh, the music. I actually want to get up and dance to this. That's how good it is. We got another one coming up, Brandon, that's uh, also in the top 40 chart. But Roger Stone, the big story that broke right before you joined me here uh, on The Greg Kelly Show is that Tucker Carlson uh, and Fox News Channel have agreed to part ways. Now, I know many years ago uh, when Fox News Channel was coming together, I believe you were one of the consultants that the Murdochs brought on board to try to sort of shape the network, shape the direction. Uh, Do you have any insight at all as to why both these parties may have separated and what appears to be in a good way? Well, Curtis, first of all, thank you for having me on. Uh, You know, since 1979, you've been out there on the front lines fighting to protect the people of New York. I have huge respect for you and the guardian angels. And of course, I uh, really enjoyed your uh, vigorous, valiant campaign against Eric Adams. When you said you had a man on today who's been to every nightclub, 
I thought maybe Eric Adams was coming on. I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, look, he is the he is the best dressed mayor since Jimmy Walker, uh, and the worst mayor since Bill De Blasio. Well, you know, Roger Stone. Every year, you put out a list of the best dressed men and women, and also the worst dressed men and women. But I don't think Eric Adams made your list this year, did he? He, he did not. And in all honesty, he, he did deserve to. On the other hand, I try to keep the list non-political and balanced. And uh, I like to have, an, uh, to the extent that the people on the list are political, and not all of them are. Some of them are athletes or come from other disciplines. But I try to have an even number of Republicans and Democrats. I think uh, Eric Adams probably has a shot uh, at being uh, named next year. I mean, he is well turned out. On the other hand, uh, the crime situation in New York City uh, is out of control. And as you know, uh, I have uh, I have other bones to pick with him over his treatment of Officer Salvatore Greco, the New York City police officer who was terminated simply because he's a friend of mine. Meanwhile, Cardi B is, uh, you know, she's appearing at the police academy, even though she's a convicted criminal uh, and a known gang member. But let me let me go to your question. Uh, Tucker Carlson is the single most influential conservative uh, commentator in the country. Uh, he has now been canceled by Fox. He is also a cash cow, or was, for the network, their their leading show. Uh, his advertising slots sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's clear to me two things. One, uh, that the folks who are now running Fox are not interested in making money. It's no longer about making money, the bottom line doesn't matter. And secondarily, it's not uh, it's not a secret that uh, Tucker Carlson has obviously always had some tension with management uh, because he is uh, absolutely fearless in the issues that he chooses to cover. Uh, and if you are uh, uh, if you are a conservative American and you don't see the first fifteen minutes of of Tucker Carlson tonight, then you really don't know what's going on. In the country. Uh, at the same time, Curtis, I'm not weeping for my friend of 30 years, Tucker Carlson, because I know wherever he goes, his massive audience will follow him, and I'm confident he will land on his feet. Well, let's just focus on Tucker Carlson a second because you remember your cognoscente of the news talk business that for a while, 2005, 2008, and uh, interim before Fox News Channel on CNN, he would wear the bow tie, and he was moderate and liberal oftentimes. And then he had the opportunity to replace Riley, who was the ratings king. And I've always said it's the real estate, Fox News, at 8 o'clock slot. Almost anybody you put in there is going to get good ratings. And then he came on, and he was a totally different Tucker Carlson. Open collar, no more bow ties, which is synonymous with George Will and country club Republicans. And I don't know if that's truly Tucker Carlson or just the fact that, like good actors and good actresses, uh, he went with the flow. He was working for a conservative outlet, Fox News, number one in the nation, number one in the world. And so if he wanted that time slot, he had to keep the O'Reilly audience and build on it. Uh, I guess I would argue, uh, Curtis, that uh, Tucker was a libertarian then. I think he's still a libertarian conservative now. Uh, I don't know why he got rid of the bow ties. I was a fan of the bow tie. I thought it was uh, branding and pretty clever branding at that. But you'll also remember 
that in Roger Ailes' heyday uh, at Fox, Tucker was relegated to hosting Fox and Friends on Saturday mornings. I mean, he was very, very much, I think, underutilized, uh, as great a genius as I think Roger Ailes was, uh, and he was a communications genius. You're right. I was a consultant to the network in the early days in terms of trying to figure out uh, their niche uh, in the market, which they most certainly did. This is a this is an extraordinary development. And of course, as I'm sure you know, Curtis, uh, maybe you call this a lemon drop because CNN has announced that uh, Don Lemon will be losing, leaving that network. So they use the Tucker Carlson story to essentially to run cover for the news that uh, Don Lemon has been terminated. Is this, though, a reaction to election denying and what transpired after the election of 2020 and this recent lawsuit? Resolved between Dominion and Fox News and the pending lawsuit that's looming with Smartmatic? Well, we don't know the answer to that. I guess that when Tucker Carlson leaves, there'll be some kind of mutual non disclosure agreement if there isn't already one in place. Uh, As you know, Fox, uh, who certainly could afford to defend that lawsuit, elected to settle rather than than, uh, than go to trial. Therefore, I presume that there may have been things in discovery uh, that they would have been embarrassed about. I don't think Dominion was in an unassailable position. Discovery for them would have been, I think, extraordinarily painful uh, because uh, there are a lot of technical issues regarding these machines. So we don't we don't really know. They didn't give us a reason today why Tucker Carlson was leaving. But what's interesting is they didn't even give him a goodbye show. He doesn't get a goodbye kiss. So last Friday was his last show. Uh, It'll be very interesting to see what the ratings are for whatever they put up there tonight. But I guarantee you uh, it will not make the kind of money for Fox or draw the kind of audience for Fox that Tucker Carlson was able to pull in. But Roger Stone, again, as a cognoscente of the news talk business over the years, people have consulted with you. You know when you leave or they make you leave, you don't get a goodbye. You get a goodbye when you retire. When you've decided to hang it up, uh, you're going to collect a pension, you're going to collect your investments, and you might occasionally do you know, a walk-on for the network that you just retired from, like a Tom Brokaw would do. Uh, but you don't work for anybody else. You don't set up your own network. You don't do what Glenn Beck did when both parties left in, on good accord. And Glenn Beck, who was the rising star at that time, remember, he had that five o'clock show. Everybody was watching. He decided he would go down to Texas, set up his own network. I don't think he has had the impact uh, as he had in that five o'clock slot on the Fox News channel it may well have been that he sided against Donald Trump in 2016 and went with Ted Cruz. But I really believe it's the real estate there that people are going to watch. And I, this is my prediction because I've watched her. Tulsi Gabbard has been on a lot of the Fox News shows. She has a very similar ideology to Tucker Carlson's uh, ideology now. As you know, a very good looking woman. And she has the respect of the Fox News audience. She left the Democratic Party. I think she might end up hosting that hour, and I think the ratings will be just as good. Well, she certainly is a talent, but let's be very clear. Cable television overall uh, 
is a, is a dying medium. Cable television ultimately will go the way broadcast television did. The problem with CBS, ABC, NBC today is there's really nobody watching, not to speak of. Uh, and you, you've started to see the shift uh, to, uh, to the Internet. Uh, uh, and, of course, terrestrial radio, such as WABC, continues to have a huge impact. That's why I find it very disturbing that both Ford and Tesla have announced that their, their next generation of vehicles will not have an AM radio receiver in it. Uh, given that the emergency broadcast system for the United States is based in AM radio and that conservative thought and conservative opinion is disproportionately available on AM radio, I think this is an enormous blow to free speech. Uh, again, uh, I still think the future lies uh, on the Internet. In the case of Glenn Beck, uh, without, and without denigrating him in any way, uh, he chose to go to a subscription model, uh, which I think has, has been flawed from the beginning. Whether you like Alex Jones or you don't like Alex Jones, whether you agree with him or whether you disagree with him, not the point. Two million people a day are still going to InfoWars to watch him. That's a massive audience. Uh, and therefore, I think uh, the future lies in the Internet. Uh, and that's probably the case for Tucker Carlson. Uh, also, Tucker Carlson, again, no disrespect to Glenn Beck, but Tucker Carlson is Glenn Beck times 10. Uh, in terms of his influence in the country. Well, let's, uh, when we come back, the war in Florida, the political war in Florida. We had a preliminary, uh, uh, actually, discussion this morning. Carol Markowitz, uh, columnist for The Post, has moved down there from Brooklyn with her family. She loves it, DeSantis land. And uh, Sid Rosenberg, who moved up here to host the morning show with Bernard McGurk, and now he's solo with Bernard's death. Uh, they were talking about Trump versus DeSantis. Obviously, uh, 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 we have uh, uh, Carol Markowitz strongly backing DeSantis. And then we had uh, Sid Rosenberg strongly backing Trump. So let's bring it down to your state when we return. This is uh, Greg Kelly's show. Yours truly, Curtis Lee, was substituting the rest of the way with Roger Stone. Again, I'm so sorry that my... Cuts involving your Netflix documentary didn't make the final cut because I said Roger Stone knows where everyone's bones are buried and who buried them. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This has become the theme song for so many tens of thousands of Americans from California to Connecticut, where Roger Stone was uh, born and raised, New York, which is my home, uh, New Jersey, eastern Pennsylvania, all over the country, 700,000 people in the last three years 
have uh, come down to Florida where Roger Stone now makes his residence. Obviously, the president and his family, former president Donald Trump in Mar-a-Lago and surrounding areas. And so many people listening right now on the app because you can hear it crystal clear anywhere in the world. Uh, and on the stream of the worktop uh, computer or your uh, laptop computer. And we have on the line Roger Stone because it seems that the potential of a Republican presidential primary with Donald Trump announcing he wants to get back to the White House and DeSantis seeming to be on the cusp as he's going to be taking a world tour. Uh, The battleground is Florida. The ads are flying fast and furiously. Uh, Roger Stone, uh, what I don't understand is, I uh, after I lost the mayoral election, Eric Adams, uh, after I restarted at WABC in my radio career that I've been doing for 35 years, I had an opportunity to go down to Florida to help uh, Andrew Giuliani, who was running for the Republican nomination uh, to become governor in uh, New York. And so I was conferencing with Rudy and Andrew, and they were doing it down at uh, Rudy's condo in Palm Beach. Uh, and boy, I was down there for a week. And you know me, you cut my veins and arteries, I bleed New York City. And I almost didn't want to come back. I mean, that was Freedom Land, DeSantis Land. It had so much that New York and other states had lost after the lockdown. Uh, and obviously, uh, what became the pandemic fears and frights that paralyzed so many other states in the nation. But I see now this. There's like these ads that are PACs, uh, supporters of Donald Trump, basically saying that DeSantis is not the guy that we all thought he was in creating Florida as freedom land. You live down there. What's been your experience? Uh, well, first of all, Curtis, uh, I agree with you. It's a shame that your interview for Get Me Roger Stone ended up on the cutting room floor. You should take that up with executive producer Frank Morano. Uh, but uh, to address your question, uh, look, I voted for Ron DeSantis twice, but a lot of people who don't live in Florida don't know the history. Ron was an obscure, unknown congressman, literally running at about 7% in the Republican primary polls. The, uh, the Republican establishment of Florida, all 67 Republican county chairmen, every elected. Roger, Roger, we're going to come back uh, after the break. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. One of the many theme songs that... Donald Trump has used in 2016 and in 2020 in his re-election effort against Joe Biden. Tom Petty, a Floridian himself, recently passed away uh, from uh, the overuse of fentanyl uh, patches. And fentanyl clearly has been an issue that Republicans uh, have used against uh, Joe Biden, who is expected to announce his uh, uh, attempt at re-election tomorrow by video. Uh, I think uh, DeSantis and Trump and other Republicans uh, have joined in solidarity on that issue. But I'm not so sure any longer because on the line we have uh, Roger Stone, resident of Florida himself, 
Nobody has been closer to Donald Trump over all the years. In fact, before we get into this battle in Florida between the what has to be considered the two leading candidates for the Republican nomination, if DeSantis uh, makes the plunge, is that uh, I can remember a group of Republicans here locally uh, went to Trump Tower. It's when uh, Andrew Cuomo was very popular, a very strong governor. I think you were present. And they were making the pitch to then-citizen Donald Trump, builder Donald Trump, to take on Cuomo. And I think uh, everything was rolling in that direction until you did the intervention and you said, no, you should be president, Donald Trump. Now, do I have that correct or, or am I uh, embellishing or just not connecting the dots? No, you essentially have it correct, uh, Curtis. Uh, I was not present because I had just had... Uh surgery for a detached retina that I sustained in a boxing match was the end of my boxing career. Uh, and therefore I wasn't able to fly, uh, because the pressurization, uh, disturbs the replaced attachment. Uh, but, um, a group of Western New York Republicans did visit Donald Trump made a heavy pitch that he should challenge, uh, Andrew Cuomo, uh, which I thought was both a very uphill task given the demographic changes in New York and the fact that there really is no conservative media in the state, no major statewide conservative newspaper, I would call the New York Post more populist-based. Uh, and uh, I also knew the job was too small for Donald Trump. I, I, if you want to run for president, run for president. Uh, and uh, you're right, he will face, uh, I, I think DeSantis will run. I find that personally to be a singular act of, of, of uh, treachery and disloyalty, given the role that Donald Trump played in the rise of Ron DeSantis. He was a long shot for governor. He overcome the opposition of the entire Republican establishment simply through the tweeted endorsement of Donald Trump, which he then made into a shameless television commercial. And then in all honesty, he was such a weak candidate that Trump had to travel here in the last two weeks of 2018, changed his schedule to do three rallies that literally dragged the governor across the finish line by a mere 30,000 votes. Uh, I, I think that um, there's also a likability factor. In other words, I'm not sure the governor is ready for prime time. He does very well when he controls the microphone. He does very well in the controlled environment of Florida where you do, do not have a particularly aggressive or inquisitive Press, but I think he's got a lot of lingering issues. He took nine and a half million dollars from Florida Power and Light. We just got a 20 percent increase in our electric bills. Uh, he just passed a tort reform bill that says that if you don't like the offer the insurance company makes you when your home was destroyed in Hurricane Ian, you cannot sue them. You have to accept whatever they give you. Uh, and they're, the insurance companies are offering people whose homes were completely destroyed pennies on the dollar, but they're not suable. Uh, so, and then most recently, I, the governor did a great job after Hurricane Ian of utilizing and quickly moving out state resources to help people. But then on this recent flood, which is right here in Fort Lauderdale, where I am, and I got to tell you, Curtis, I was starting to regret that I didn't begin building an ark. Uh, you know, he, he's been he's been a total he's been completely absent. Yesterday, I interviewed a, an Iraq war veteran who's 80 percent disabled, whose son is uh, is severely autistic. 
Their home is under three feet of water. They're getting no help. They call the governor's office. They call the mayor's office. They call their congressman. They have nothing to eat. They have no place to sleep. Now, now, Roger, uh, Roger, as a uh, Trump supporter, uh, I see that you are now sort of reflecting what I heard on Friday. Uh, there was Stephen Chung who was saying the DeSantis record is one of misery and despair. Uh, he's left a wake of destruction all across Florida. People are hurting. Then all of a sudden, Trump appears at the annual Lincoln dinner that same night in Lee County, that area of Fort Myers that was destroyed by the hurricane. And he greets everybody there, goes, hey, it's great. It's a great state, a great place. Uh, This is the place that everybody should be. Now, you can't have it both ways, Roger Stone. It can't be the worst imaginable place to live, uh, according to the new spin of the Trump supporters. And yet, when Donald Trump speaks about Florida, he encourages people to come down. He talks about what a great state it is. And then he mentions, well, you know, uh, there was Charlie Chris, the uh, former Democratic governor. He did a good job. Nobody believes that, Roger Stone. Nobody believes that. Uh, First of all, I'm not Stephen Chung, so I'm responsible for what I say. Uh, And uh, no, Florida is a great place to live, but everything is not exactly the way you've been told it is. So, for example, you may have read that the governor ended the mask mandates uh, in the public schools here. What they didn't tell you, if you read the small print, is that the three largest counties in the state, he abrogated that decision to local Democratic officeholder school boards, and they kept the masks in place for another eight months. Initially, seven, the seven largest counties in the state thumbed their nose at the governor and 3.7 million school children were still masked long after the governor was in Las Vegas saying that they weren't. So this idea that the the governor says he would have fired Fauci, why didn't he fire his own health advisors who had him in full-throated endorsement uh, and support of the COVID-19 vaccination program? as well as the mask mandates. But I, I so, see, I, I remember things differently, Roger Stone. I remember DeSantis taking on Fauci. And I remember the pre- president of the United States, then Donald Trump, supporting Fauci. He could have he could have gotten rid of Fauci. He didn't. Why? He, he, uh, in all due respect, he didn't. Uh, the governor didn't take him on till earlier, uh, late last year. Uh, and we were still uh, undergoing mask mandates as late as 2022. Uh, I am not a fan of Dr. Fauci. I'm not going to take up for him. But the president made it very clear that the vaccination was a voluntary thing. People had to make their own decisions. And he actually favored a faster opening uh, than Governor DeSantis did. Our beaches, restaurants uh, in the three largest counties in the state remain closed far longer than the president wanted them to. That was a decision by the governor. So there's a certain effort here, I think, to rewrite the governor's record. Um, I just also think... Well, uh, let let me interject one thing. Uh, Roger Stone on the line. This is the Greg Kelly Show. Curtis Sliwa was... I'm substituting today while Greg is away. Uh, And uh, I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, when this pandemic hit, per capita, per person, more elderly, more senior citizens in Florida than any other state in the nation. Uh, I have guardian angels throughout Florida, and there are more senior citizen long-term housing uh, units that exist where naturally they're under care. And I said, oh, my God, this this is going to vanquish them. 
I saw Andrew Cuomo here in New York responsible for 16,000 deaths because of his executive orders. Murphy in New Jersey, likewise. Connecticut, the same. California, the same. And yet DeSantis did not do that to the long-term nursing home care units in Florida by forcing hospitals to transfer elderly COVID patients back to the nursing homes. I mean, you got to give them credit for that because it ravaged our senior citizen population here, but did not do that in Florida. Come on, Roger, give credit where credit is due. Uh, I agree with everything you say, but then immediately after the election, uh, he appointed the number one vax Nazi in the state, David Kerner, who formed something called the Palm Beach County COVID-19 Compliance Task Force, which was a jack-booted gang of thugs going around terrorizing businesses and citizens. Uh, He appoints this guy to his cabinet immediately after the election, an election in which this liberal Democrat uh, endorsed Ron DeSantis. So uh, I I just think his record will not hold up. It, It won't end up being the wedge issue that he thinks it will be. Uh, with Donald Trump. Now, I understand the first time around, there's no doubt that Donald Trump's endorsement as president of the United States, as a transplanted full-time resident of Florida, while he was at the White House, he he basically said, I'm out of New York. I got to get out of it. I'll still keep my facilities there. Occasionally, I'll be there. But my permanent residence is Florida. Obviously, I'm the occupant of the White House. Uh, DeSantis in this recent election against uh, Charlie Chris crushed him. It was the biggest victory that any Republican had across the nation. If what you're saying is true, how come that didn't come back to bite him in the political ass against an experienced uh, person who's been governor before, who's been a Republican, who's been a Democrat, who's been an independent, who is very skilled in politics, Charlie Chris says, he got crushed by DeSantis. First of all, Charlie Chris was an inherently uh, weak candidate because of his party switching. Like that joke, a Republican, a Democrat, and an independent walked into a bar, and the bartender said, hi, Charlie. I mean, the, the guy has run as everything. He, he has gone from being strongly pro-life to being strongly pro-abortion. He's gone from being strongly Second Amendment to being a, a gun grabber. But mostly it was the fact that he was extraordinarily underfunded uh, and therefore he had to count on free media coverage in the closing days of the campaign. Uh, And that's when the hurricane hit and the hurricane allowed the governor, who I think did a very good job on on the hurricane response, to be clear. But he did a very good job also of dominating all news coverage. So there was a blackout on anything Charlie Chris because the hurricane was the big news. Uh, The governor, of course, wouldn't let the lieutenant governor or the attorney general or the state CFO uh, in any of the photo ops. But he did dominate that news. And I think that contributed tremendously to his margin. I think he would have won, but he was leading by closer to five. uh, And then, of course, it became a a blowout uh, for both he uh, and the Republican Party. But also, let me point out to you, Marco Rubio, our U.S. senator, who was outspent by better than two to one by his Democratic opponent, won by virtually the same margin. So uh, the is if they face off here in Florida, what will happen? Uh, and there's been a real shift there. Immediately after the election, immediately after DeSantis was reelected, he was leading by 20 in the primaries. Today, he's trailing by more than 20. 
So the effect of all that paid reelection media, I think, has worn off. Well, when we come back, we have to get into the meat and potatoes of the issues that could impact negatively on whoever survives the Republican primary process. We know Trump, uh, he has survived the process in 2016. We've yet to see DeSantis uh, at a national level. But there are certain issues, and Roger Stone, I want to tackle each and every one of them. Abortion, gun control, election denying. All the things that people who are supporting a flawed president, no doubt about it, uh, Joe Biden, who will probably announce he's running for reelection tomorrow, are licking their chops because they're saying issues like this uh, will favor a reelection effort of Joe Biden versus whoever the Republicans put up. But most importantly, Donald Trump, they want Trump to be the candidate that President Joe Biden can run for in re-election. Just to recap, Greg Kelly is away today. We have on the line the first, the uber supporter of Donald Trump. When people said, uh, Roger Stone, you're out of your mind. He's a builder. He's a New Yorker. Back in the 80s, uh, just to give you a little side story, both he and I were given the prestigious New York State Conservative Party Award at the 69th Armory. He was in his tux. Uh, Cindy Adams was there. I was there. I looked at Donald. I said, Donald, you're not a conservative. You're pro-gun control. You're pro-choice. And he said, Curtis, you're not a conservative. And he turned to me and he said, Let's make the best of it. Let's not uh, try to spoil the fact that they're giving us awards. And Cindy Adams reported on all of that. Boy, have time changed. But Roger Stone has been there every step of the way for Donald Trump. I don't know of anybody who has been closer to Donald Trump, who has been there in good times and bad times. And as you can see, with all he's been through personally, he is still. The person that those uh, in the Republican Party over the years has said, this is the kind of wartime consigliere you need because Roger Stone knows where all the political bones are buried and who buried them. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Nobody, nobody can doubt that our guest today, Roger Stone, is a well-dressed man. In fact, on those occasions that I've been in the company of Roger Stone and others, I noticed, Roger, you never wear socks, you have a pinky ring, you never wear the same suit twice, you sometimes wear a bowler hat. My God, you are a fashionista, a fashion plate. Where did that come from? Because you don't really see that amongst a lot of the national figures in politics, whether they're Democrats or Republicans. Well, I believe look good, feel good. I mean, first of all, let me correct you slightly. It's a Hamburg. Uh, I'm not a vaudeville comedian, so you wouldn't wear a bowler. Uh, but I do wear the Hamburg, which was, you know, worn by Dwight Eisenhower, uh, Harry Truman, John Foster Dulles, Nelson Rockefeller, uh, Tom Dewey. Uh, It's a very elegant look. It may be kind of 1930s, but uh, it drives the left crazy. They say I look like a Batman villain. I wear fine, you know, uh, English tailoring. 
Curtis, I haven't had a new suit in 30 years. If you take good care of the suits that you had made decades ago, they'll take care of you. Well, uh, well let me it, let me tell you something. Uh, you span the era, not necessarily the politicos you mentioned, but I followed your career. Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Jack Kemp, Bob Dole, George W. Bush, obviously Trump, Arlen Specter. You were working for him to become president, and you were working for Tom Kane in New Jersey running for governor. Did I nail all those right? You did, Tom Kane, 88 years old, by the way, this past week. That was my very first solo political consulting gig post-Reagan. Uh, first time I got out there on my own. And, of course, he won by 1,200 votes out of 2.1 million cast. No doubt. And then what I find uh, ironic, you were a Goldwater guy at the same time that Hillary in the suburbs of Chicago was a Goldwater gal. And look at the different directions you traveled. Uh, well, I certainly didn't bump into her uh, at the time. You know, look, over time, uh, Curtis, you know this, people's attitudes change as they learn new things. I used to be a totally blind lockstep. All Republicans were good. All Democrats are bad. I don't think that anymore. Today, I think Despite my deep sentimental attachment to the Republican Party of Lincoln, uh, the Republican Party of Barry Goldwater, of, of uh, Richard Nixon, of Ronald Reagan, of Donald Trump, I really do think we've gotten to the point where the two parties are kind of a Hegelian kabuki dance, uh, a front uh, kind of an act put on for the voters. Uh, but really, both parties, sadly, at least the leadership of both parties, they're kind of in it together. I mean, they have worked together uh, to destroy the country. Uh, it, it's very sad. Well, when we, when, when, when we return, Roger Stone, we've got to get into the cultural war, the social issues, because I've known you a long time. I don't think of you as a Republican. Uh, when I think libertarian, I think Roger Stone. Ahead of the curb, legalization of marijuana. Ahead of the curb legalization of prostitution a guy who for the most part every time i've heard you talk you're a believer of come see come saw live and let live you know you're not a holy roller by any means of the definition i mean i can't imagine you in a church on sunday with evangelicals you know screaming out jesus jesus you are a libertarian coming out of the school of Barry Goldwater, who was the biggest libertarian of our era. And then the Republican Party switched direction. And I'd like to discuss that with you in the next hour, because it certainly is going to impact this election and the primary with Donald Trump seeking the White House again. And it may be against DeSantis. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, substituting for Greg Kelly today. He's away. And we have a very special guest because the focus of so many Republicans is on the state of Florida because of the two political titans who may be battling one another for the nomination to represent their party against what we expect to be the President Joe Biden announcing by video form tomorrow, Tuesday. 
his bid for re-election. We're talking about, obviously, candidate Donald Trump uh, and potentially Governor DeSantis, who will be going on a world tour to sort of uh, uh, try to establish his bona fide in geopolitical matters away from the state of Florida. But on the line, we have Roger Stone. Roger, you probably recognize the song from West Side Story, created in the 60s uh, by the most liberal, progressive producers, Leonard Bernstein, the conductor who created the music, Sondheim, who actually held fundraisers for the Black Panther Party back then in their penthouses on the Upper West Side. But the words in this musical now would be considered new. No, you can't talk. You can't use words like this. You would be considered xenophobic and racist. Boy, have our, have our times changed, Roger Stone. Uh, they really have, Curtis. Uh, let me address something you said in the last segment, because I must. Uh, I think you would have been surprised to see me this Sunday morning, because I was at the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, which is uh, a vibrant evangelical Christian church. Uh, in all honesty, I've been very open about this. When I was looking uh, at seven to nine years uh, in a totally fabricated witch hunt, when I was framed for lying under oath about Russian collusion that does not exist, WikiLeaks collaboration, that never happened, uh, or any other crime for that matter, I was redeemed in the blood of the cross. It's caused me to rethink many of the things uh, that I thought before. I'm a libertarian. But I also have to reconcile that with my my faith in Jesus Christ. I would not have survived. I wouldn't be on your show right now. No, no, I know. I know. But Roger Stone, are you declaring for the very first time on this nationally syndicated show of Greg Kelly that you are a born again? Uh, I couldn't say that because I've been on hundreds of 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 Christian podcasts, radio shows, uh, uh, net based shows and talked about my renewed faith. So it's not news. You may have missed it, Curtis, but uh, yes, I, I am redeemed in the blood hold, of the hold, cross. Hold the presses. Remember, you're talking to Curtis Sliwa here, Roger Stone. I know you. I know you over the years. A, you were a swinger, or at least you were promoting swinging, swapping uh, partners in a Plato's retreat style fashion. It caused you to have to leave one of the presidential campaigns you promoted the legalized use of marijuana, recreational use of marijuana. You represented the madam when she ran in the general election against Andrew Cuomo for the governor. The madam. And you've promoted the legalization of prostitution. How do you jive all of that with this newfound status of, hey, I'm a born again? Well, first of all, anyone can be redeemed. And on some of those issues, I haven't changed. I'm still for the legalization and regulation of marijuana. I'm still opposed, by the way, to stop and frisk. Took a lot of heat from my conservative friends uh, for that. Uh, I used to be a pro-abortion. Today, I'm in pro-life. I've had, a, with the birth of my one and only great-grandson, I've had a, a revision in my thinking. Uh, but Curtis, I'm not running for public office. Uh, and I also recognize the power of some of these issues. So, for example, even though I may be pro-life, I think that the six-week ban as signed by the governor uh, is probably politically unpalatable uh, to many suburban women in a general election. I think it was one of the main reasons why Republicans recently 
lost the Supreme Court races uh, in Wisconsin has been an effective uh, issue to mobilize voters. So thank you for that colorful trip down memory lane. But people change, Curtis. They no, no, change. I, I understand. But why is it? And maybe you can explain this, because I announced uh, before we went to break that you have represented some of the biggest names in Republican history, especially those who run for president or been president, that it seems like the rite of passage is that if you are contemplating running for the presidency and getting the Republican nomination, you cannot be pro-choice. For instance, Donald Trump was pro-choice. He became pro-life. Chris Christie, pro-choice. He became pro-life. We saw our own mayor here, Rudy Giuliani, pro-choice. He became pro-life. I can go on and on. I remember when they were huddling with uh, Bush 43, and he was thinking, I really want Tom Ridge of Pennsylvania. They said, you can't have Tom Ridge. He's pro-choice governor of Pennsylvania. I really want, no, he's pro-choice. And probably the classic, and you're aware of this, when Reagan wrestled with Bush 41, voodoo economics, and Bush 41 was pro-choice, at Cobo Hall Arena in Detroit, where they were welcoming in their presidential nominee, Reagan, and he rejected Gerald Ford's offer of a co-presidency, they said, who do you want uh, for your vice president? He said, Laxall, the Nevada. His team in California said, you can't have Laxall. You got to go for Bush. He could lock up Texas for you. And he said, only if he becomes pro-life. Now, he had been pro-choice. How is it within 24 hours, Bush 41 went from being pro-choice to pro-life so he could be be the running mate for Ronald Reagan? This is what confuses a lot of people. Well, because in any administration, it is the president, not the vice president, who sets national policy. Uh, And Reagan was pro-choice. And George H.W. Bush was of such little political character he could be whatever you wanted him to be. That's why I wrote the book, The Bush Crime Family. You can get a copy by going to stonezone.com and go to the shop. Uh, it was an Amazon bestseller. So, uh, but I, the point no, 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 Roger, is, let me give you credit here. That was smooth. Boy, that was a smooth segue. I give you credit for that. But on the Bush. I didn't fall off, I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. No, no, so. I know that. But on the issue of abortion. We saw you are correct. DeSantis signed into law six weeks, and that's it. After that, no abortion. All right. Then we saw Donald Trump by videocast, not in person in Iowa, uh, talk to the evangelicals about his pro-life stance. Now, the tone of the country is not pro-life. It's pro-choice. And if you look at the analytics, something that you have done very well over the years, women are the voters, men talk a lot of nonsense and oftentimes don't vote. And women, the number of women voters is the turnout of the state of Texas in presidential elections. They will determine who the next president of the United States is. And if you're hard pro-life, I'm sorry, Roger Stone. You're not going to get elected president because the women now rule. They have 10 million more ballots that they file than men throughout the United States. Uh, I would argue that the American people are not pro-abortion. They're pro-abortion with certain reasonable restrictions. The abortion on demand position of today's modern Democratic Party is just as unpalatable to the voters 
uh, as an all-out complete ban on abortion. So I think there are shadings uh, on this issue. Uh, I also don't agree that the country cannot elect uh, a a pro-life president, not with gas prices where they are, not with inflation where it is, not with the, the food shortages we're experiencing, not with the billions we are shipping to Ukraine. Well, we have 370,000 homeless veterans uh, in this country. Uh, so uh, I think that there are issues of every bit as, of, uh, every bit as important as this. Uh, generally speaking, the voters that are motivated on this issue are on the two extremes. Uh, but I don't think it is the motivating issue uh, that would be a deciding factor. Well, uh, you know New York as well as anyone politically. Uh, you had ties to everyone, including Al Sharpton, when he ran for the presidential nomination of the Democratic Party. You were like a consigliere to him, an advisor to him. So you know Democrats in New York, you know Republicans. I truly believe that Lee Zeldin would be governor of New York State today if he didn't take the most extreme position on abortion, which included uh, no abortion uh, if it uh, affected the life of the mother, uh, if a woman uh, uh, was raped, or there was uh, incest involved. Those extreme positions just turn off so many women voters. I mean, that that, that plank in the Republican uh, platform has got to go or it will guarantee the Republicans will lose nationally. Uh, this, this idea that I was a conciliary to Al Sharpton is the invention of Wayne Barrett, a, a, a crazed leftist village voice uh, reporter who did a nine-part series on it. By the way, I wrote a counterpoint to every segment and blasted it out. Uh, it was very simple. I had a cordial and have a cordial relationship with Al Sharpton. Sharpton realizes that I am a Nixon Republican. It was Nixon who desegregated the public schools in America. It was Nixon who gave us affirmative action. Uh, it was Nixon who gave us the Office of Minority Business Enterprise. Uh, it was Nixon uh, who tripled the funding for black colleges in America. It was Nixon who rounded up the votes for the 1958 Civil Rights Bill over the objections and leadership of Lyndon Baines Johnson. So, uh, yes, uh, Sharpton and I know each other. Uh, He felt that his campaign in 2004 was being submarined by uh, his chief rival, Jesse Jackson. He asked me if I knew of capable Democratic operatives uh, who could help him get on the ballot and would be uh, loyal to him. I recommended some professionals that I know. But this idea that I was his major domo or his chief strategist, that's uh, that's what well, well, I want to I, I want to give you credit where credit is due. Long before we saw the migration of white people into Harlem, you were living in Harlem. People were shocked to know that Roger Stone had his residence in Harlem. That's a story really that's never been told, Roger. Well, in all honesty, I liked living there, but it became increasingly dangerous, not because of the crime problem, but just because I'm Roger Stone. (laughs) Uh, And the the left in this country, uh, Curtis, has been extraordinarily, become extraordinarily intolerant uh, and violent. So I'm sorry, I just can't go out to, you know, a nice Italian restaurant with my wife and my kids and my grandchildren on a Sunday night without being yelled at by lunatics that I'm some kind of Russian traitor, for which there is 
no evidence whatsoever. Well, when, I had relatives mowed down by Russian tanks in Budapest in 1956. I have no love for Vladimir Putin. Well, when we come when we come back, we must discuss why I believe DeSantis must run now and not wait. And I'm going to use historical precedents that maybe you can relate to as you continue to make the case why Donald Trump should not be challenged by DeSantis, because it's almost as if I guess what some Republicans are saying is he's an ingrate. Uh, because he's not understanding that he wouldn't be the governor if not for the support of then-President Donald Trump in the state of Florida. Uh, We are substituting for Greg Kelly today. Uh, My co-host, because he has equal status to me, is uh, Roger Stone, who knows where everybody's political bones are buried and who buried them as we focus on the battle in Florida. Trump versus DeSantis. It will be a heavyweight political match if, in fact, DeSantis uh, throws his hat into the ring. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Dee Snyder, who allows his music, we're not going to take it anymore from Twisted Sister, to be used by... People of all different political beliefs. So, for instance, Donald Trump has used it uh, not only when he ran for office and won the first time 2016, but at his rallies. And Dee Snyder, to his credit, says, hey, uh, people who are for gun control, they're using it now after a series of uh, killings uh, that have impacted on the whole debate about gun control. That's the kind of attitude that we need is, hey, hey, music is there for the people. If you want to use my uh, music, I consider it a compliment. Doesn't mean I necessarily agree with you. Most artists, that's not the case at all. But on the line is uh, Roger Stone. He was the first person to urge Donald Trump to run for the presidency. He remained consistent in good times and bad times, steered him away from other considerations said you would make the best president of the United States. And uh, there's no doubt you had a tremendous influence on Donald Trump, the citizen, to make the leap to run for the presidency. But the reason, Roger Stone, that I believe this is DeSantis's moment is because you remember Chris Christie. We spoke about how you had supported Tom Kane for governor in a very tight election. Uh, he certainly uh, was uh, pleased with your help. Because that was a tight election. And I'll never forget, in 2010, Chris Christie gets elected governor and starts these town hall meetings like we've never seen before. And he was Trumpian before Trump. And boy, he was getting a lot of interest from Republicans. So much so that eventually Iowa pig farmers came to Drum Thwacket, where he and Pat, his wife, sat down. And they say, we want you to run for the presidency. You don't have to come to Iowa and drink ethanol. You don't have to do any of that. We're on your side. And Chris Christie said no, because he always thought he could be vice president, whether it was with Romney or maybe eventually with Trump or the chief of staff. DeSantis's time is now. If he remains governor without running, you know history says that this term, is not going to go north, it's going to go south. There are going to be problems. So he should jump in. 
Well, Curtis, first of all, I think when you run for re-election, you're kind of saying to the voters that you're going to fulfill the job you've just been elected to. Five months ago, he got re-elected. Right now, we have a gas crisis in South Florida. There is no gasoline. We still have a flooding crisis. Uh, the governor was in Ohio when that went down. Now he's in Japan, uh, uh, headed to Israel or, or visiting uh, Israel. Uh, I recognize that his term as governor ends in 2026. All of this money he has in the bank could be preserved uh, and he could run in 2028. But not being governor from 26 to 28, he will not have the fulcrum of the governorship to, uh, let's just say it, extort huge amounts of money to corporations like Florida Power and Light, who gave him $9 well, million. Well, we, Rod, we Roger, we'll, we'll definitely continue on this in this vein. Uh, but as the cultural warrior that he's become, well-recognized for that, I think this is his time. It'll never get better than it is now. History seems to indicate that. But we will continue our discussion. Roger Stone, the ultimate trumper, yours truly, Curtis Lee, at this point, supporting DeSantis. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Believe it or not, we started the Greg Kelly show today. He's away with uh, Top 40 Hit, My Mind's Going Blank, which is a great dance tune because it has all the faux pas, all the slip of the lips of President Joe Biden. Well done, musically. And this, Brandon, which, uh, as you know, became the battle cry of so many of them uh, who uh, uh, in the United States are opposed to uh, Joe Biden. But they put it in musical form. And this is a top 40 song. And it's perfect because my co-host today, Roger Stone, nobody has been a bigger supporter of Donald Trump running for the presidency and running again for the presidency than Roger Stone. As I've said in my introduction of him, he knows where all the political bones are buried and who buried them. I'm not just Republicans, but Democrats. But we've got to recap the top story of the day, Roger. Uh, Fox News Channel has parted ways with Tucker Carlson. It appears to be agreeable to both sides. That was preceded by Don Bongino also leaving. Is it your sense, because at, at one time uh, you uh, actually, one of your uh, corporate clients was Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation, especially in the beginning of the Fox News Channel, is it your sense that there will be other uh, amiable separations now that the Dominion uh, lawsuit has been uh, settled uh, and Smart Matic is waiting in the wings? Curtis, I would not be surprised to see uh, Judge Jeanine Pirro, also a good friend of mine, uh, and Maria Bartiromo, a journalist I very much admire, follow Tucker Carlson out the door. Uh, the, the important thing to recognize, I think, is that Carlson will, will land on his feet. He is the single most influential conservative commentator in the country today. Uh, he dwarfs anybody who ever came before him. Uh, and it remains to be seen where he goes. I'm sure he will have a, numer a number of lucrative offers. He may elect because the Internet is where it's at for the future. He may elect to go do something on his own. 
but it is a stunning financial decision uh, by uh, by Fox. If they're going to reinvent themselves, kind of like the Sky News in Britain, well, they're going to get ratings like CNN, which is to say people in airports every place will be watching them, but few others. Now, interesting, because uh, uh, I am a sometimes a guest uh, on uh, Fox News Channel. I'm not part of the normal rotation. But I've noticed of late, maybe you have too, Roger Stone, that a lot of their other hosts from other shows, hosts and hostesses, they rotate in and out of almost every show, something I never saw that much before. I think in some ways they know what they're going to, they knew what they were going to do before the settlement with Dominion. And that's been a way also of doing focus groups because you know what they do. They watch the clock. How did that person do every 10 minutes or 15 minutes? Do you think that at all was sort of a precursor to what we're seeing now? Uh, I think that may be the case. They still have some very talented people. So I leave Fox on, you know, without the sound when I'm working. But anytime I see Charlie Gasparino come on, uh, I turn up the sound to see what he has to say. Uh, I think he's a very down the middle, very incisive analyst of both Wall Street, the economic situation in America. And he's got a shrewd eye for politics uh, as well. But I think overall, we have seen already uh, a trend away from Fox uh, among conservatives. So while they are still dominant, they don't have the overwhelming dominance that they once had. Uh, and many of their former viewers are moving to you know, conservative alternatives uh, like, uh, like Newsmax, for example, or Real America's Voice or Right Side Broadcasting. Uh, and I think you're going to see an expansion of other outlets uh, in that space. I'm just telling you, Curtis, I think cable TV uh, is not going to be around in five years, uh, seven years. And I think the move is to the Internet where people can uh, get more choice, where there's uh, at least if you build your own vehicle, uh, there's less censorship and less cancellation. Now, the next time you're in New York, uh, I've got to reach out to Charles Gasparino, a mutual friend of ours to host us at Bamante's in northern Brooklyn, Williamsburg. It still has a bocce court inside the restaurants. It's where judges go. It's where politicos go and mobsters go. And you will feel that you found another home of your own at Bamante's in Williamsburg, Roger Stone. Well, as you know, Curtis, uh, Stone is a name plucked out of the air by some probably unfriendly clerk on Ellis Island when my grandfather, Tony Corbo, a Sicilian, uh, came here uh, from uh, from Italy. So uh, I will feel right at home with the bocce court, believe me. Wow, you're a cheat. You're a zip. Perfect. I'll make sure it happens. Now, uh, we expect President Joe Biden to announce for re-election tomorrow by video. Uh, the Democrats, all that I've spoken to, they want round two, 2020. They think if this is round two, they win again. Uh, what's the difference now as opposed to when he came out of nowhere uh, and won the Democratic primary against uh, at least uh, eight different candidates because he was winning in every poll versus Donald Trump? That's why he was plucked to run uh, as a presidential candidate. Well, uh, let me give you my take on this. It's a little different than the conventional wisdom. Tomorrow he's going to release a video. If he simply says he's going to run, 
that's one thing. But if he becomes a legal candidate, all that really does is freeze out the field so nobody else is going to enter this race and really puts Robert Kennedy uh, at a tremendous disadvantage. They've already essentially canceled the Iowa caucuses, canceled the New Hampshire primary, uh, putting South Carolina, the state that saved Joe Biden, first in the lineup. But the truth is, nothing relevant really happens until the fall when signatures need to be gathered for the primary entry in South Carolina. So I still think it is entirely possible before it's over uh, that Biden drops, either citing health or because of the House investigations. Uh, And I have been on my own show and I've written extensively about this, and I still think the most likely and perhaps strongest potential Democratic candidate for 2024 would be Michelle Obama. She could raise $100 million in two weeks. She'd get the signature she needs to get on the ballot in days. Uh, her grandparents' home state is South Carolina, where she could wrap up the nomination early. And they just announced that the convention will be where? Uh, in her hometown of Chicago. So uh, if you haven't heard this theory before, you've not heard it first uh, on The Greg Kelly Show with my friend Curtis Lewa. Ah, well, I couldn't disagree with you hopelessly anymore because everybody always at some point says Michelle Obama, Michelle Obama. She gives every indication that she wants nothing to do with running uh, politically herself. There is stone cold proof that she's running. There it is right there. Now, see, I thought... I thought you were going to say, because South Carolina is the first primary for the Democrats now, predominantly black Democratic electorate, you're right, that's how Joe Biden got the nomination. But I thought now that Don Lemon got whacked today, uh, he might just decide, what do I got to lose, right? I've got no networks going to hire me any longer. I might as well run in South Carolina. I'm from the South. I could take a shot at Joe Biden. Well, look, I think that there's a certain likability factor that's very important in politics. This is one of the flaws I see in a potential DeSantis candidacy. This is a guy who famously wears earbuds so he can avoid human contact. I mean, he is not a warm, fuzzy guy. He doesn't seem to have any appetite for the rituals of politics. You ran for mayor. You know what it's like. You got to shake hands. You got to pose for selfies. You got to sign orders. Yeah, but, yeah, but let me, let me, you know, Donald Trump originally was a germaphobe. He would not shake hands. I remember the first time I met Donald Trump, germaphobe, would not shake hands, uh, almost like Howard Stern, like some other folks uh, would not shake hands. He had a lot to overcome because at first he would have his Sharpie and he would just sign objects that you would thrust at him on the campaign. And then eventually it's like a mosh pit. He would just dive in and, you know, a back slap and shake. But he, come on, Roger, you remember he had a lot to overcome there initially. Uh, I, but I think I always thought his germophobia was situational. Uh, but then second, as he points out, yeah, you're sitting in a restaurant. You're sit, just sitting down to order. A guy comes out of the men's room, recognizes you, sticks his hand out. What do you do? Good point. I mean, uh, I I think you can see that he likes people, that he's good at small talk. He likes banter. He gets strength from people. Uh, Governor DeSantis is kind of aloof. He's kind of a a cold fish. There's nothing warm and fuzzy about him. And I, I just don't think it's clear 
that he's up yet to big league pitching. Well, the reason the reason the reason I suggest DeSantis and not Trump is because uh, if uh, DeSantis were to survive the Republican primary process, which can be battering, uh, and he's uh, he's certainly not been through uh, the meat grinder that it becomes on a stage, him and Joe Biden. There are a lot of people who are going to say, I'm going for the younger guy. Whereas if it's Trump and Biden, it's a replay of 2020. I really think when you look at the polls so far, the predominant number of Democrats who do not want to see Joe Biden run for reelection are young. They're like 18 to 42, uh, even though they may disagree in many aspects uh, with uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, who wears the shield now of the cultural warrior in the Republican Party. I think that a guy in his 40s versus a guy in his 80s who looks like any minute he's going to keel over and he needs medical alert. I'm falling and I can't get up. You know what politics is like. I think a lot of people would just decide to vote for DeSantis for president against Joe Biden. I guess I would argue that by challenging Donald Trump, that DeSantis will probably do long-term structural damage to his career. There's a group of voters out there who are not necessarily Republicans, Curtis, uh, who are Trump first, last, and always. They now, given what they perceive as an act of treachery, will never vote for Ron DeSantis, even in a general election against some Democrat. And again, I'm not convinced that Biden will be their final candidate. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't claim to know the Democratic Party as well as I think I know the Republican Party. But there is a reason why 11 of the 13 Republican congressmen from our state just endorsed Donald Trump over the guy they served with in the House. Uh, that, that's really extraordinarily extraordinary development. By the way, all of these people are not necessarily America first Trump uh, original Trump supporters. So uh, I think it, it speaks uh, to the likability uh, and the congeniality uh, of Ron DeSantis, which are two key factors in getting elected. But I remember, I remember the brutal primary, Bush 41 versus Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan had earned the right to run for the presidency, having run against Gerald Ford and having lost in the waning days of that campaign. Then he runs again, and his Bush 41 coming out of Texas, although originally from your state, Connecticut, and he's uh, accusing Reagan of voodoo economics. He was pro-choice. I mean, there were some great debates. Nancy Reagan, wife of Ronald Reagan, hated his guts. And yet they teamed together because of the dynamics of having uh, the electoral votes, which are so necessary to become the president. I can foresee a bloodbath between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. But I can see when the dust clears, um, calmer minds saying we need to team you guys up because we have the here and now Donald Trump and the future of the Republican Party on the same ticket. You know that's a possibility. Well, the problem, of course, is that a Trump DeSantis ticket is legally problematic under the rules of the Electoral College. It's not specifically prohibited, but if a party nominates a candidate for president and vice president, who are both legal residents of the same state, and they carry that state, which in this case they would, Florida, they forfeit the 30 electoral votes that Florida has. Understood. But then again, part of the slime campaign against DeSantis goes back to when he was teaching in private school 
in Georgia, and they were suggesting that he was hitting on, snacking on these young adult females. So I I think uh, in order to make the ticket work, he would just move back to Georgia, right? A governor can't leave Florida. He's got, <laughs> he, he's in the middle of his term. And let's face it, Donald Trump is not moving to New York or New Jersey, two states where the state incomes rate is absolutely confiscatory. Well, why Why is he slamming Florida so much? Florida, oh, the worst. Oh, it's horrible. His, his minions, it's terrible. It's not like DeSantis says it is. His whole family lives down there. He moved lock, stock, and barrel to Mar-a-Lago. Uh, uh, perhaps it's because we have no state income tax. Oh, yeah, but he could have gone to Texas. He could have gone to Tennessee. Anyway, we're going to continue on. This is the Greg Kelly Show. He's away today. Roger Stone is my co-host today, and we've been uh, discussing our differences over his support for Trump. He's been loyal there long before anyone had an idea that Trump would be president. And obviously, I'm liking DeSantis more and more. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Years ago at the old Yankee Stadium, I'd look up at the box of owner George Steinbrenner, and sitting next to him oftentimes would be Donald Trump. In fifth inning, the maintenance crew would come out to uh, groom the infield, and they'd be playing YMCA. And I'd say, does George know the origin of YMCA? And now it's a fixture on the campaign trail for Donald Trump since 2016. Wow. I would never have thought that this would become part and parcel of the package of the world's greatest baseball team ever, the New York Yankees, and Donald Trump's uh, presidential campaigns in 2016, 2022, and once again for 2024. Now, could you have imagined this, Roger Stone? You know, Curtis, it's funny you mention that because uh, it was in George Steinbrenner's box that a young Donald Trump met former President Richard Nixon for the first time. Uh, and Nixon called me the next morning and he said, well... I met your man, Trump. Let me tell you something. This guy can go all the way, all the way. And then he wrote Trump a letter published by the New York Times later saying exactly that. That letter is actually being published in a in a new book by Donald Trump of letters that he got to and from famous people. So even before I saw Trump as a potential presidential candidate, uh, President Nixon saw him the same way. Well, uh, let's talk about an issue again that could be a gender-dividing issue, gun control. I happen to be in a different category because my wife, Nancy, she's Annie Oakley. She loves to go to Pennsylvania, visit her mom in the uh, rural areas of Pennsylvania, take out the AK-47 and shoot almost anything that moves that's not a human or an animal, that's for sure. She's an animal welfare activist. But... Me, you know, I've been shot five times with hollow point bullets on the orders of the Gaudis to the Gambinos. So I'm very much into gun control. That is not a reflection of the gender divide in the country. Poll after poll indicates women want gun control. Men want the right Second Amendment to have the gun of their choice. But there are more women that vote than men. How do the Republicans deal with that? No, I, I, I really argue with the premise uh, I think particularly with rising crime, uh, there is more support. Now, I agree with your wife. 
I would never kill an animal. I find the idea of, of hunting animals kind of repugnant. Uh, that's just me. On the other hand, I'm a strong supporter uh, of the right because I think you need to potentially protect yourself uh, and you have to be prepared, particularly given this wave of fentanyl fueled crime uh, in the country. So I, I don't concede that the voters uh, are for uh, gun control. Uh, I, I do think they want uh, background checks, uh, for example. I think the NRA can sometimes be too extreme, uh, but I, I still think that people want access to firearms as guaranteed in the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Now, uh, the first debates in the Republican primary, I think, will take place at the Fox News Channel in August. Do you anticipate seeing on that stage, we know Donald Trump will be there, but do you think Ron DeSantis will go the whole nine yards? Uh, I think he is going to run. As I understand it, all those debates are not necessarily set in cement. What's even more disturbing to me is the Democrats have announced they're not going to have any debates at all. They're not even going to give Robert Kennedy an opportunity to make his case on the big stage with Joe Biden or whoever the Democrat establishment candidate ends up being. I really think that's anti-democratic. But then maybe they thought their debates four years ago, three years ago, drove their party too far to the extremes. Well, I want to I want to thank you, Roger Stone. Uh, Maybe as the course of this primary goes forward, uh, we can join again. Uh, and debate, uh, obviously, Trump versus DeSantis, because there'll be so much more to talk about. It's been great. We've aired out both sides. We've also talked a lot of history. That's what you get here when you team up Sliwa and Stone.